So welcome everybody. Uh, my name is Professor Peter Nash from Griffith University in beautiful downtown Brisbane. And today we're very lucky, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Diogo Kaibers from the Department of Rheumatology, University Hospital in beautiful Basel in Switzerland. Hi Diego, thank you so much for giving up your time. Um, <clears throat> we're going to talk today about your recently published paper, which compared drug retention of the TNF inhibitors, the other biologics and the JAK inhibitors in RA patients after they had discontinued a JAK inhibitor, which, which again, we can discuss. So before we start, can you just give us a bit of an introduction about yourself, about the situation in, as far as JAK inhibitors is concerned in Switzerland, given the whole oral surveillance thing and what kinds of things you're researching at the moment? Okay, thanks, uh, Peter. That's um, uh, nice to have this uh, opportunity to talk about uh, this interesting data that we got and also about um, the uh, SCQM registry, which uh, the data are derived from. So, I mean, the situation in Switzerland regarding JAK inhibitors is that we had uh, tofacitinib licensed in 2013. So we were ahead of the other European countries in this respect. But of course, in the US, it was uh, already licensed before. But we had the longer period of use uh, of, of this drug uh, in, in the real world. And that's why we got this data that we actually uh, collected here for a comparison of a drug uh, retention in patients that already discontinued the JAK inhibitor. Because, of course, we have very good data from randomized controlled trials on the the efficacy of JAK inhibitors in patients that failed methotrexate or also previous uh, TNF inhibitor therapy. But um, in patients that discontinue JAK inhibitors, we do not know with what choice of therapy we should, we should make. And this was basically the basis for uh, this, this study in the registry uh, SCQM. So tell us a bit about SCQM and, and how many of the rumors in Switzerland put data in? Is it 100% cover or is it 50% cover? Well, SCQM is a prospective uh, uh, cohort uh, that contains uh, patients with rheumatoid arthritis, but also psoriatic arthritis. We also have a registry for axial spondyloarthritis. This is all in the, uh, in the registry of SCQM included. This is a, is not really population-based because it's not mandatory to include patients there. There is a certain over-representation of patients on biologic therapy because uh, um, often patients that do not require biologic therapy are not included, but they can be included. It's not only from centers. There are also a private practice rheumatologists that can include patients there, and they actually do. So the coverage is uh, fairly high because of that. We, we also include private practice rheumatologists, but it's not population-based in the sense that we have 100% coverage. That's not the case. Okay, and, and it's purely mandatory to uh, put your data in. Would you say that since oral surveillance, the JAK landscape has changed a lot in Switzerland, or has it had very little effect? I don't think that has changed a lot, but people are more cautious. I mean, there are more discussions what to do. There is certainly more awareness of the necessity to, to assess the cardiovascular risk profile in these patients. I think this has definitely changed, but I don't think that the use has already changed a lot. So it's okay. they're still used and, and there is some 
uncertainties. You can feel that there are uncertainties, whether it's this class effect, what has been shown in oral surveillance, or whether uh, in general you have to be careful with this, these drugs. That's an open question, of course. Okay. And you've got the three jacks. You've got uh, Topher, Barry, and UPA, which must have come fairly recently. Um, and does the EMEA rule of over 65 and after TNFs, does that apply to Switzerland like every other European country? Well, no, it has not applied uh, in the same sense as the EMA. That's uh, not the case. But of course, there was the safety warning that we're all aware of uh, with tofacitinib with this uh, based on the data of the oral surveillance. So, of course, the discussion in Switzerland is also whether this uh, is something we have to consider for all the JAK inhibitors, which at the moment is not restricted yet. <clears throat> okay, so tell us a little bit about how you did the study, what your inclusion criteria were. Yes, I mean, the study was done, as I said, uh, with the data from uh, patients in the SCQM registry with rheumatoid arthritis. So the inclusion criteria was, uh, of course, diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and um, from there, we took the patients that had JAK inhibited therapy and that discontinued JAK inhibited therapy, irrespective of previous therapies that was, that was not restricted. So actually, a lot of patients had previous biologic therapies before they uh, you know, inhibit, uh, discontinued the JAK inhibitor. So there was a broad, a broad range of previous therapies. Uh, also, concomitant therapies was, were, of course, allowed. We didn't make any restrictions on co-therapy with steroids uh, and, and conventional DMARDs. So it was a broad and population. Just, and just on that point, is JAK inhibitors mainly monotherapy in Switzerland or still combo with methotrexate? No, a lot of them were still in combination, but the percentage of patients that had combination therapy was lower in the JAK inhibitor uh, treated, I mean, the patients that discontinued then restarted the JAK inhibitor there, the monotherapy patients were more numerous in comparison to that, uh, the patients that started with a TNF inhibitor therapy. Okay, so tell us a little bit about uh, your findings. So basically, we, we looked at um, the drug retention in the patients that discontinued JAK inhibitor therapy and then switched on either a TNF inhibitor or a JAK inhibitor or a, T, uh, a biologic with another mode of action. That included tocilizumab, that included uh, sarilumab, that included abatacept, and also rituximab. And when we uh, compared between these three groups, then we saw that the retention in the JAK inhibitor treated patients, so JAK inhibitor after previous JAK inhibitor, they had the longest uh, treatment um, um, continuation. So the discontinuation rate was lower in this, in this group as compared to TNF inhibitors. Okay. Whereas there was no significant uh, I, compared to other mode of action biologics. I should have asked, what was the commonest reason people discontinued their JAK to get into the trial? Yes, that's a very interesting and, and also important uh, point. Of course, uh, the most uh, cited uh, uh, reason for discontinuation was uh, not effective. 
So not effective was actually um, in about uh, 55 to 60 percent the reason for discontinuation. There was no differences in, in between the groups that in terms of treatment after the JAK inhibitor. So it was 57 percent in the patients that were put on a TNF inhibitor. It was uh, 55 percent in the patients that were put on a biologic without with a different mode of action and 63 percent in the patients that got another JAK inhibitor. So it was not less in the patients that were put on another JAK inhibitor. So, so the, and you got no feel for how long they were on the JAK inhibitor before they discontinued? Uh, yes, um, they had, um, they had, if I remember correctly, don't, I mean, I, I don't know exactly this number, it's around 300 days. So it's a fairly long, okay, so they're, it's not they're on a, short. At least a year. And if we just look at that first um, baseline characteristics, these people had long-standing disease, 12 years or so of disease. They only 60-odd percent, 70% were seropos. So do you have a lot of seronegative rheumatoids or do you think that was other AXPAR patients creeping in? Well, we hope not. <laughs> we hope not, but <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's, it's a little less than you would expect. Um, it uh, was... Um, as you, as you state correctly, between uh, 63% and 78%, which is a little less, that's true. I mean, we hope not. I mean, there are obviously also seronegative rheumatoid arthritis patients, which can also be included in the, um, in the registry. And there are reasons for using TNF versus other mode of action biologics in these populations. That might introduce a certain bias. You're right with that. Okay, and you don't have a feel for um, which of the jacks people did better on or worse on discontinued differently coming into the trial. The numbers didn't allow you to say that. Well, we would have loved to answer this question for you, but the, the problem is that, you know, as I said, 2013, tofacitinib was licensed in Switzerland, and then uh, for many years, it was the only uh, licensed JAK inhibitor. That's why most of the patients that we look at that discontinued JAK inhibitor actually discontinued tofacitinib and were put on mostly baricitinib because upadacitinib is only recently uh, released. That's why we have a certain bias in, in the sense that we look at patients switching from TOFA to BARI. And this is why we also included a comparison of TOFA versus BARI in effect, in also in drug discontinuation rate, but in a larger population of patients, because we had, we had not enough patients in this population that discontinued JAK inhibitor to <coughs> compare BARI and TOFA. And in a larger population in SCQM, we didn't find uh, differences in drug discontinuation rate between TOFA and BARI. That's very helpful, and it, and it is a very commonly asked question. I've got patients who haven't done well on a jack or have had to stop for whatever reason. Is there efficacy if I switch to another jack? So, so your study will help answer that question for us. So can you give us a feel for the percentage of patients who respond on a different jack having failed a jack to get in? Well, I cannot directly answer the question because we didn't look at response rates or, or, or you know, remission rates or things like that. We, we just looked at the, at the drug discontinuation rate. And I can tell you that this was actually better for JAK inhibitor uh, than compared to another uh, mode of action, biologic or TNF inhibitor. So actually, 
it, it's a good choice to use a JAK inhibitor after a JAK inhibitor, but which one for that, we do not really have the data to, to make a comparison and tell you. Sure, but drug retention is quite a nice surrogate for doing well and not getting side effects and continuing on therapy, unless they've failed every single other drug and got no other choice. So some of these people must have had a number of biologics and were sticking with the last one they could get. Yes, that's obviously absolutely true. And we have in the table also in the baseline characteristics, the percentage of patients that have failed previous TNF inhibitors or also other mode of action biologics. And of course, the percentage in the patients that were put on a JAK inhibitor is higher than, in, than compared to the patients that were put on a TNF inhibitor. But uh, statistically, of course, you can correct for that using multiple regression. And we did that and did, did not you know, influence the results that we got in terms of treatment discontinuation rates. So that's very helpful that you can change JAKs and get efficacy or get retention anyway. And you can change to a TNF and not do quite as well as changing to a JAK. Um, I was going to ask, is there any message in the side effects profile recorded with the different JAKs? Did you see VTE? Did you see any, any signals? Well, we had, we had single cases. Of course, you know, the problem is what we looked at, we didn't really look at side effect rates. What we looked at, we looked at the reason for discontinuation of the JAK inhibitor the previous JAK inhibitor, but also of the patients that were then put on the different therapies. And then again, we looked at uh, discontinuation and reason for discontinuation in these patients. And we saw single cases. There were single cases, um, actually two malignancies uh, were reported. Um, there was um, also a major adverse cardiac event, but these were single cases. So I cannot really tell you whether this was more evident in, in JAK inhibitor versus other treatments because, you know, the reasons for the previous JAK inhibitor treatment, we cannot compare because that's uh, just the population that we look at. But in the patients that were then switched to the different treatments there, we could look at, uh, at uh, side effects. And there we had no cases of malignancy and we had uh, also no cases of special interest. So this is not really possible to compare between the different treatments in our in our population but, but in SUCREM at large we have uh, done uh, um, a safety uh, uh, study in terms of serious infections uh, where we had uh, larger numbers of patients and there we saw actually the same as in the um, oral surveillance data that um, the hazard ratio for uh, serious infections was higher in patients over 65 and it was not different uh, between uh, biologics in general and, and tofacitinib in this case in under 65 year old patients. But I still think your data is very helpful because these are real world patients on concomitant therapies with comorbidities, on background steroid, et cetera. So important data. So thank you very much. Can you give us a take home message then? Is there a summary of this study that you'd like clinicians to think about moving forward? Yes, uh, thank you. And I, I would like to encourage everybody to look at the actual data in the, in the study because there's a lot on, on side effects and adverse events that we have just discussed that are interesting, I think, to look at. It's descriptive, but it's interesting. The take-home message would be that uh, in our study, we look at, this, at the population which has not been studied in randomized controlled trials that discontinue a JAK inhibitor. And uh, we found that actually 
changing uh, to another JAK inhibitor therapy is is a, is a good option in these patients. Uh, they seem to to do well under this therapy. Of course, safety concerns have to be taken into considerations in these patients. We had some events of, um, of uh, adverse events of special interest, but uh, of course we cannot say whether these are different between the different therapies, but I think this needs to be followed up uh, in, in other studies. But in general, switching from a JAK inhibitor to another JAK inhibitor seems to be a viable option. Excellent. Thank you. I should have asked, has Fugotin been in Switzerland or was it early days? Excuse me, can you can you repeat? <clears throat> Uh, is filgotinib available in Switzerland, or is it uh, early days for that drug? No, it's not not uh, available yet in, in Switzerland. So we have no comparison. Only UPA has been uh, so far uh, okay. um, for RA. <clears throat> All right. So thank you so much for um, uh, talking with us today. We greatly appreciate it. Um, we thank you for your time. I think people should have a good look at this paper because it does contain lots of uh, important information for the practicing clinician. Um, the JAK inhibitors are here to stay. We just have to find the best way to use them safely and effectively and individualize our choice. If you'd like to know more about this paper and the others uploaded to the CSF website this month, Detailed slide sets are available in the publication section at cytokinesignaling.com. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and give us some feedback and let us know what you think. And we appreciate your time and uh, really look forward to analysing this paper in a bit more detail. Thank you so much.